be with you in just a moment. Okay. Thank you for being here. We have visitors with us. We're grateful for you, your presence. We have a number of people, of course, that are absent, some because of sickness and some because of travel. But we're grateful for the presence of each of you and pray that the time will be well spent this evening. Thank Eric for leading those songs. He's just about preached the sermon without even knowing it. Because we'll be talking a lot about uh, making sure our life is pure, making sure our hearts are pure. Not too long ago in class, we talked about Judas's carrot for just a little bit. And as we talked, I, I thought, I think about the next time I preach, I'm going to preach on Judas's carrot. And this is the next time I've preached. And the thought I had is, I wonder if there's any Judas among us. I'll tell you more about what I mean by that in a minute. But I want us to begin just by reminding you of some of the things that probably all of us know about Judas. And let me tell you, this is not necessarily a picture of Judas. I say that because I can remember when I was starting out preaching in Yelville, Arkansas, we were using the... Uh, Joel Miller film strips and teaching personal class and I was teaching a lady and she was just enamored about how Abraham looked and I kept saying that's not him really that's just an artist's conception and she kept saying I just like the way he looks <laughs> and so this is just somebody's picture about Judas that we are barred but we do know that uh, Judas was an apostle of Jesus Christ there are about four times I think if I correct, and that the apostles were actually mentioned by name in the scriptures. Three of them in the gospel, and then one of them in Acts after uh, Judas was no longer numbered with them at that time because of his death. But in all three occasions in the uh, gospels, when the apostles are given, Judas' name is there. I'm turning to the book of Mark in the third chapter, and we'll not read all of them, but I want to draw a couple of things to your attention here. In Mark, the third chapter, in verse 14, it says, Then he, talking about Jesus, appointed twelve that they may be with him and that he might send them out to preach. I think in one of the versions, and, and maybe it's Matthew 10, it says he called his disciples together, and then he chose ten or twelve, excuse me, out of that. We are disciples if we are followers of Christ. And all the apostles were followers of Christ and hence disciples, but some of them were called to be apostles. And these were people that were going to be closer to Jesus and whom he would use to uh, be witnesses of his resurrection and to uh, give the people the word of the Lord. And so he's going to choose them. And he says in verse uh, 15, and he, to have power to heal the uh, sickness and to cast out demons. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, uh, that is, son of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon of Canaanite, 
and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Every time we read about Judas, or just about every time, even early on, before he actually did betray Jesus, of course all the Gospels are being written afterwards, it tells us that this is the man that betrayed Jesus, and we'll talk more about that. But just know he is an apostle. He was one that was chosen by Jesus, called by Jesus, if you would, to be a special ambassador of, of him to the people. We know also that he was the son of Simon, whoever Simon was, but there's a couple of times that uh, this is referenced to us. Look, if you would, to the book of John and uh, the sixth chapter and verse 71. And it just makes mention that he spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. So again, we're reminded that he's one of the apostles and that Jesus chose him, and he says he was the son of Simon. And then if you look over to chapter 13, uh, he would again remind us of who his father was. John 13 and verse 2, he says, uh, And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, and then again in verse 26, he again tells us, And Jesus answered, It is he whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas's carrot, the son of Simon. Now, we don't know who Simon was other than he's the father of, of Judas. And we are defining Judas by saying he's the son of Simon. So uh, that doesn't really help us that much other than we, we gain a little bit of information about him. And then we know also that he was from uh, Kuriath, and that's a little city in the south or south part of Judea, maybe a little southern or the south than Hebron, some say. And when you see the name Judas Iscariot, maybe you uh, think Judas and his last name is Iscariot, but that's not the case. Uh, Iscariot seemingly puts him in, and tells us that this is the place that he was from. But without a doubt, what Judas is perhaps best known for is that he betrayed our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Look over, if you would, for a moment to the book of Matthew and the 26th chapter and read a couple of verses that uh, tell us this. In Matthew, the 26th chapter, and we'll start in verse 14, it says, Then one of the twelve, called Judas Carrot, went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out thirty or counted out to him thirty pieces of silver. So from that time he, that's talking about Judas Carrot, sought opportunity to betray him, talking about Jesus. And so he has now made the deal where he was trying to to betray Jesus. And then if you look over a little further in Matthew, the 26th chapter, and you remember uh, there's the supper, and then they go out to the garden and so forth. In Matthew 26 and 47, it says, And while he was still speaking, that is, Jesus was speaking to his disciples, his other apostles, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great came with a great multitude, uh, came from the chief priests and the elders and the people, 
Now he, his betrayer had given them a sign saying, whomever I should kiss, he is the one, seize him. And immediately he went up to Jesus and said, greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. And so here's Judas making the deal that he would betray him, following through on that deal, and even betraying him with a sign that you would think would be uh, one of respect and honor and showing friendship. But he's using that as a time or a way of showing them who Jesus was and so they could capture him. And so he is actually at this time betraying Jesus on this occasion. His name has become synonymous with a traitor or a betrayer. And you don't have many fathers and mothers naming their children Judas these days because that event stands out in people's minds and, and they know that he betrayed Jesus. And so uh, they don't want to name their child after that all either. And then I would suggest to you further that he was remorseful and he hung himself. Uh, look, if you would, to the book of Matthew in the 27th chapter, and look, if you would, beginning in verse 1. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him and led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor, then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went out and hanged himself. And so he has some remorse. He realizes that he's done wrong. But it doesn't sound like that the end was going to be very good to um, Judas. Look, if you would, um, to the book of, of Matthew in the 26th chapter again, and look, if you would, to verse 23. It says, He answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me is in the dish will betray me. This is Jesus at the supper or after the supper and telling them and giving them a sign as to who it was that could betray them or betray him. And he says, whoever it is that dips with me, that's the one that's going to betray me. Then he said, the Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. And so it doesn't sound like that the end of Judas is going to be really that good. And then look over again, if you would, this time to the book of John and the 17th chapter and drop down to verse 12 and tells us, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept. And none of them is lost except the son of perdition that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Now I come to you and, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled. And so he again uh, speaks of this son of perdition, uh, son of destruction. And he's talking about 
Judas is carried in that occasion. I think if you just want to kind of sum up Judas's life, he was one who feigned discipleship. Maybe sometime was sincere to begin with, but toward the end he was feigning discipleship, and his heart was impure. Uh, he was covetous. There are some passages that tell us that he was a thief. We'll look at some of those in a minute, but they tell us he was a thief, and uh, he was covetous. You know, he he didn't just betray Jesus for nothing. He got 30 pieces of silver, and that was his motive for betraying. He was bargaining with them. What will you give me if I, if I turn him over to you, was the idea. And so all of us probably know these things about Judas. Uh, but I want us now to, to look a little different. I want us to think about his life and try and figure out could it be that we're, we're walking the same path sometimes that Judas did? Uh, I will suggest to you that none of us can even possibly do what Judas did of actually betray uh, Jesus because he's not here. And so we can't go out and make a deal to actually turn him over so he can be killed for 30 pieces of silver. I would remind you, though, that in the book of Hebrews, the sixth chapter, he's writing to disciples, and he tells us that it's possible for us to crucify Christ again. So though we can't uh, betray him and turn him over to those people, there is a sense in which people can crucify Jesus again. But I'll tell you, I don't think those people are sitting in this audience this evening. That seems to be somebody who had become a Christian, who had tasted all of the good gifts that God gives to Christians, and then chooses to leave Christ. And he doesn't even apparently stay around and, and pretend to be a disciple. He is, he's through with Christ. And so no one that uh, fits what we're talking about really is in the audience tonight that has crucified Christ again. And then I would suggest to you there are some people that can be counted among the number of disciples or count themselves among the members of disciples sometimes, and they're not really a disciple. Uh, we've been studying Sunday mornings, and our memory verse is Matthew 28 and 18, and talks about Jesus saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth, and then tells his disciples, you go out and, and preach the word to the people, making disciples of them. And so a disciple then says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so a disciple is a person that has heard and believed in Jesus Christ and then been baptized into Jesus Christ. And there are some people that count themselves as disciples, and there are sometimes people that come in among us and, and they sit among us and, and go to places with us and all, and they perceive themselves to be a disciple though they're really not a disciple. But I want to suggest to you that Judas Carrot was one that can be, well, that was numbered among the disciples, uh, but he was still lost. And that if we're not careful, we too can be numbered among Jesus' disciples, but still lost. Look, if you would, to the book of Acts and the first chapter for a moment. Now, this is after the gospel, so Judas is already dead. Christ has been uh, crucified and then now been raised from the dead. 
and now they realize they need to choose someone else to be an apostle with them in Judas's place. But listen to the way that it's described in verse 17. For he was numbered with us. He's talking about Judas. He was numbered with us and attained a part in this ministry. And so Judas was counted among the apostles. He was counted among the disciples. And yet he ends up being called the son of perdition and indicating it had been better if he'd never been born than to face what he was going to face. I want to, for a moment to try and impress upon your mind just how much he was a part of them. You know, we don't really know when he became a disciple, and we don't know about Judas when he was actually made an apostle. Uh, you can read John 1, and you see Jesus coming, and John pointing out Jesus to him, and some of the disciples went after him. And that was... Seemingly John and, and Andrew. No, Andrew, because he went and told his brother Peter. Peter and Andrew were brothers. So we know how they learned about Jesus. Uh, we know something about James and John. We know something about uh, Matthew, how that Jesus was there and, and Matthew was there and, and Jesus talked to him, called him, and he became an apostle. But others, we don't know anything about how they became disciples and how they became an apostle, but it is clear that Jesus called them. He's the one that, out of his disciples, chose these people. And so uh, Judas was named among the apostles and, and counted among them. He was an actual apostle. He wasn't just one that joined himself. He was called. And what that would mean would be he spent three years with Jesus probably. Three years rubbing shoulders with the Christ. He heard the Christ preach. He heard him perhaps when he went on the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5 and verse 8 talked about how important it is that we be pure of heart. He no doubt heard him when he talked about uh, how that we needed to to. No man can serve two masters in Matthew, the sixth chapter. He'll either love the one and hate the other, or, or he'll uh, just can't serve two, he says. And he even goes on to say, you can't serve mammon or money and Christ. You've got to make a choice. He heard that. He would have been with him when in Luke chapter uh 12 and verse 15 that the guy came to Jesus saying tell my brother to give me my inheritance and Jesus said who made me the judge and then he would say beware of covetousness John heard that or I mean Judas heard that he heard all these warnings he would have been one of the apostles when it says that Jesus sent them out two by two he was with one of somebody else, and they were going out. And when he was there, he was working miracles and teaching them that Jesus was the Christ. He had all of this knowledge and had seen all of these things. And yet he would still end up betraying Christ. And he would still be covetous. And all of these things come into pass. Let me remind you, it doesn't 
have to be covetousness with us? It could be. And we live in a world in which money is a big thing and uh, people try and get us to always be attracted to money and so forth. And we have to be careful. Or we could be very much like Judas where, where we are covetous. And that covetous can lead us to other things. But it doesn't have to be covetous. It could be some other sin that, that we're walking among the disciples and, and considered to be a part of Christ and still uh, sin in our lives. It could be hatred. It could be unforgiveness. It could be pride. So many things that, that could be a part of our life. And all the time that we're calling ourselves disciples, we have the sin in our life that can do much harm and much damage in it. Another thing I see about Judas, he reminds us that sin can carry us further than we probably intended to go. I want you, if you would, to turn back to Matthew 27 for a moment. And, and this is a thought that I've had lots of time, and I think it was brought up in the class that morning also. Uh, but it says, When morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him and led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor, then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And said, what is that to us? Or they said, what is that to us? You see to it. And he threw the money down and, and of course, went out and hanged himself. I don't know that I could prove this, but it's my thoughts from reading this account particularly. I don't think Judas thought that Jesus was going to die. If you read your Gospels in other places, you'll remember there were crowds sometimes and that said that they were going to kill him and Jesus slipped away or he got out of it some way. And I wondered if perhaps Judas thought, you know, here's a chance for me to get 30 pieces of silver and Jesus to get out of it. It won't, it won't hurt. And one of the things about sin is that it gets us to go further than what we intended to go sometimes. And the consequences of, of what we perceive to be, in our mind, a small thing can be devastating. You just mark it down, and I've said it before, but you're probably not as strong as you think you are when it comes to resisting the devil. And temptations are oftentimes more stronger than we think they will be against us. And so we don't need to just put ourselves out there and say, hey, here I am, come test me, Satan. You need to be guarded, and temptations will come, like the book of James talks about, and, and we can be joyful, and we can learn from them. We can learn if we overcome them, that's good. If we succumb to them, we can repent of them and say, hey, I see where I made my mistake last time, or whatever it is. But just know that temptations are stronger than we think sometimes and cares further than we ever intended to go. 
and the damage is far greater than what we think sometimes. I can give you names of people that just started out flirting and ended up with a, a serious situation with marriage or a broken marriage. I can probably name you people that, that started out just a little covetous that then turned to be a thief. All of these kind of things. And we just need to understand that sin is serious all the time. And that we shouldn't ever harbor sin in our hearts. That it's going to bring real pain and sorrow if we let it stay there without attending to it. The third thing I want you to think about is that one can have remorse and still not be saved. Again, if you look at the book of Matthew in the 27th chapter in verse 3 again, it says, Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful. I'm reading the New King James. It says remorseful. If you're reading the King James, it says he repented. There was another one that says he repents. I think maybe the American Standard. I'm sure. Think. Uh, sure. I think the English Standard says he repents. And it is in the Greek a word that is translated repent. But it's not the same Greek word that you see in the book of Acts in the second chapter when he says repent, be baptized, or a number of other places. This word is just used. Uh, very few times, really, in the Scriptures. And it carries with it the idea of remorse, but it, it's not the same thing as the repentance that is recovered or required elsewhere when we become Christians. In fact, look, if you would, to the book of Second uh, Corinthians in the 7th chapter for a moment. And... Look, if you would, down to about verse 7 and 8, or 8, I think we'll do. Paul writes and says, For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret, for I perceived that the same epistle made you sorry, though you were, though only for a while. Uh, Verse 9, he says, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you should suffer loss, from, or that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But sorrow of the world produces death. He talks about two things that motivates us to repentance, and this, this word is different in the, the latter part here. I think maybe in 2 Corinthians 8 when Paul's talking about regret, that may have been the same word that's back over uh, in Matthew 27. But when Paul says this about repentance and calls them to repentance and saying out of godly sorrow or godly sorrow produces repentance, this is a different word. And this means a change of heart and a change of mind. And it's brought about, notice, because of godly sorrow. And that's the kind of repentance we need all the time. We need that that is brought about by godly sorrow. Uh, 
What was Judas sorry for? Well, he was sorry that Jesus was killed. He was sorry about that. But nothing said about the covetousness. Nothing said about some of the other things, the thievery that he did. Was it just, I'm sorry that I've got the blood of an innocent man on there? Or not just, I have just killed the Savior? I did something that my God doesn't want me to do? And the point I want us to make is that we can be sorry sometimes for something, but it's sorry we got caught or uh, sorry I didn't get away with it or whatever. And that's not going to save us with God. The God that we serve wants us to be regretful of sin that we commit, but he wants it to come out of a godly sorrow. You remember Romans uh, 6? And he talks about that uh, uh, sin brings death. But repentance, that sorrow for sin, has to be, I'm sorry that I've sinned against God. I think the passage I was thinking about was when he talks about we've, we've sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3. Uh, that's what ought to bother us. Not so much I got caught or it's going to cost me uh, even if we got caught and put in prison, a few years in prison, not even if it, I got caught and it's going to cost me my life, that's not what God's wanting. He's wanting us to realize, hey, I sinned against God Almighty. And that the only way I can get out of that is through Christ Jesus and the blood of Jesus. And God had to send his son to get me free from that. And so... What we want is godly sorrow. And so it's possible for somebody to do something wrong and, and then have sorrow for it, but it's still not erase their sorrow or, or their sin because it's not really a biblical repentance uh, or the kind that God wants where it's coming out of, I'm sorry I did this and offended you, oh God. We cannot, this is the main point that I want you to realize, we cannot harbor sin in our life. Know it's there and let it stay there and end up all right. We can't uh, be among the disciples and have sin in our heart or in our life and just... Let it stay there. Think, well, everything's okay. It's not. We can't just uh, be sorry just because we got caught or something or that. It's got to be godly sorrow. And that's what God wants. I wrestled a little bit over the title of this. I, I ended up with, is there any Judas among us? I, I really wanted to be let there not be Judas among us. I wanted to end on positive, but I couldn't figure out just how to introduce it and come from that angle. Uh, but my hope is that there's no Judas among us, that we're all what we profess to be, disciples of Christ, and that we all are, are really disciples, not just somebody that's play-acting among it, 
fooling the rest of the group, that we all realize that there's consequences to sin and, and that if we just let sin stay in our life, it's going to bite us somehow. You know, I, I saw, I used to keep it somewhere close by, it was a little newspaper clipping about a man out in the garden one time and he was clearing his garden and he found a little bitty snake and it was about frozen. So he picked it up and put it in his pocket so it would warm up. And it bit him. And he pulled the snake out and he said, what did you bite me for? He said, you knew I was a snake all the time. And that's the way sin is. We need to understand sin is sin. And sin is against God's will. And sin is what costs Jesus his life. And we don't want any part of it. And we can't just keep a little bit in our life and still please God. Purge out all the sin and repent out of a godly sorrow anytime it's there. That's the message. And that's what I want to use Judas to teach us this evening. That we can be named and numbered among the disciples and still be lost if we're not careful. And know that sin will carry us places that we don't really want to go and do consequences that we don't want to have to bear. And know also that we can be sorry, and that's still not enough. We've got to truly repent in order to attain forgiveness. If you're here this evening and subject to the gospel invitation, if you never become a Christian, then be a Christian. Render obedience and be added to the flock that Jesus has, the church, and live a righteous life. And if you are part of the church and you've not lived right, there's sin in your life, then repent of it. Good godly sorrow and repentance and prayer. And go home clear conscience and truly a child of God in good standing with God. If you're subject in any way, we invite you to come as together we stand and sing. Like the burn will at last.